0: part three of just me by pearl white this librivox recording is in the public domain that same summer there was a county fair and a man made an ascension in a balloon he was dressed in pink tights and performed on a trapeze during his flight upwards he went up a good distance and then cut some strings and descended gently to earth in a parachute SEEING THIS MAN SAILING UP TO THE CLOUDS GAVE ME A GREAT DESIRE TO GO UP IN A BALLOON. THAT DESIRE WAS FULFILLED ABOUT FOUR YEARS AGO, BUT UNFORTUNATELY I WAS STRANDED FOR THREE HOURS AND A HALF OVER NEW YORK CITY, AND ALLOW ME TO SAY THAT BALLOONS IN MY LIFE ARE FINISHED. THE PARACHUTE ALSO MADE AN AWFUL HIT WITH ME AND IT GAVE ME THE IDEA THAT I COULD MAKE ONE FOR MYSELF. MY FATHER HAD A LARGE UMBRELLA and i figured if i should open it up and step off from some high building i could take hold of the handle and descend to the earth a la parachute of course i didn't figure that when the air got underneath the umbrella it would turn inside out and leave me flat in the air i finally got everything all set the top of the old evaporator was chosen for the place from which i would make my descent All of the kids in the village were notified, and I appointed my brother as manager of the affair. I sneaked the umbrella and dressed myself up in a long union suit that was to serve me as tights. I also swiped a red ribbon somewhere and tied that around my waist. This would have probably been my last trip on, or to, earth, as the old building on the top of which I was poised must have been about sixty feet high. But I was already umbrella in hand and just going to step off when my father, who had seen so many boys hurrying in that direction, suspected that something was wrong and arrived on the spot just in time to stop me. I was dragged away in high disgrace, hating my father and thinking he was all wrong. Some time afterwards, I did try the stunt from a ten-foot building and was knocked out for hours. Ballooning was out. "'but I started to work on a trapeze. "'Every old broomstick and piece of rope I could find "'were converted into trapezes "'and hung from the rafters in the old evaporator. "'Thus all the kids in the village, under my leadership, "'became acrobats. "'This was one thing my father didn't object "'to my brother and myself doing. "'Perhaps he thought it would develop our muscles, "'and the one thing he always adored was strength.' From that time on, I can remember always having a broomstick strung up someplace until after I had my fall, and I have never been on a trapeze since. In those days in Missouri, there were a lot of bandits, horse thieves, and highwaymen operating in a small way. Most of the famous gangs, like the James or younger brothers, were of the past. But into the village this day rode a masked man at high noon and armed with a revolver he entered the bank where the farmers kept their savings held up the cashier took the money leaped on his horse and galloped away i with my brother happened along the road just then the cry of thief soon rang through the village and a posse of men on horseback were soon on his trail i think he was eventually caught and strung up but that masked figure on horseback left a big impression on the minds of the village children we were of the age when the boys start reading novels of bandits pirates etc i always played with my brother's friends wore my hair cut short and was generally dressed in overalls i looked like a boy and was called by all the nice little girls tom boy It was at this period that my stepmother gave birth to a child, so that we were more or less left to ourselves for a while. My brother and I established ourselves at the head of a tribe, consisting of fourteen rough-necked boys, and called ourselves the Dalton Gang. We had read of them in a book. We built a shack and dug a cave under the ground floor of the old evaporator, which we stocked with everything we could lay our hands on. I think the gang must have lasted for nearly a year before we were discovered, and it took my father months finding the ownership of hundreds of dollars' worth of booty that we kids had swiped. Perhaps we would not have been discovered had it not been for the Spanish-American War, which was going on at that time, and our attention was turned to warfare. I elected myself, Admiral Dewey, and my brother, Admiral Schley. We ripped two old boilers out of the engine room of the old evaporator, turned them upside down, and set them up on each side of the little pond that stood behind it. These boilers were oblong, made out of sheet iron, with a large opening for fuel and a big smoke pipe. They must have been about ten feet long, so that seven or eight kids could easily crawl inside of them. These two old boilers we christened the main and the Olympic. Our idea of warfare was comic enough, because Dewey and Schley were both Americans, yet we fought bitter battles against one another. There was an old apple tree on our place, but although it bore lots of fruit, the apples were tasteless, and they were never used. So we collected said apples, and used them for cannonballs. Our warfare was thus. My followers got into my ship, and my brothers into his we each watched one another through small peepholes that we bored through the sides of the boilers the trick was to raise up through the opening and throw apples at each other when a boy stuck his head out of the other ship we were all armed with said apples and threw them at him making it a sort of dodge the baseball at coney island effect My fleet was continually getting licked, so one day I collected, secretly, a lot of croquet balls and employed them to batter up a couple of boys in my brother's outfit. One poor little fellow was knocked out and hurt so badly that he had to be carried home. So his father and mine investigated the outfit and also discovered our cave with the plunder. From then on the doors of the old evaporator were locked against us. We were severely punished and forbidden to enter the place again. The next event I remember in my life was the death of my stepmother's child. By this time I was getting rather religious. I had learned the Ten Commandments and was more or less becoming a halfway decent child and a firm believer in thou shalt not steal. I also began to look upon myself as more or less grown up and to take things very seriously. I was, I remember, very dramatic about my stepbrother's death. I cried the longest and sang the loudest of any one at the funeral. But I also remember that I hugely enjoyed the ride to the cemetery, which was a long way off. I don't suppose my grief was sincere, although I was very fond of the boy. The death of this child changed the future of the entire family. "'My stepmother refused to live any longer in the house in which her child had died. "'So the balance of the money in the family was taken by my father "'and invested in a business proposition in Springfield, Missouri. "'That was the place they had decided to settle in. "'Then I took my first train ride along with my parents and the two other children.' My stepmother, it seemed, was very fond of animals, so we must have made a comic-looking bunch of emigrants when we left the old homestead. I was selected to mind two bird cages full of canaries. My brother had the cat in a cage, along with a couple of guinea-pigs, who, by the way, did not get along together at all well. My sister led the dog. I enjoyed that trip immensely, although it was hot weather and we traveled in a day-coach. I must have, even at that age, had the spirit of adventure, for I was sorry when we landed in Springfield. My father had rented a beautiful house in a nice neighborhood, but he had only put into it a few chairs, not enough to go around, however, a couple of beds, and just enough dishes to cook our food in. He had intended to furnish the house after my mother arrived, but evidently the big return he had early expected from his investment was not realized and we lived on in that large house for several months with bare walls, no carpets on the floors, and our food, which was very meagre, was doled out to us mostly in our hands. I don't know what my father was doing. I think he was dabbling in real estate. However, I do know that whatever he did with the last of his money, it was lost. My brother got a job delivering newspapers, earning about four dollars a week. AND I THINK THAT WE PRACTICALLY LIVED ON THAT INCOME FOR THREE OR FOUR MONTHS, THE RENT BEING PAID IN ADVANCE FOR THAT LENGTH OF TIME. THEN WE LEFT THE BIG HOUSE AND MOVED TO A SMALL ONE. MY FATHER GOT A JOB DOING SOMETHING OR OTHER, AND PIECE BY PIECE, FURNITURE WAS BOUGHT. I THINK IT TOOK NEARLY FOUR YEARS BEFORE AN ENTIRE SET OF FURNITURE WAS GOTTEN TOGETHER. MY FATHER WORKED HARD, BUT HE SEEMED TO HAVE HAD BAD LUCK IN EVERYTHING HE UNDERTOOK and whereas we always lived in a fairly good-looking house we barely eked out an existence and sometimes we hardly had enough to eat my stepmother's pride was supreme she never had anything to do with the neighbors because she was ashamed to let them come into our unfurnished home and we children were never allowed to bring anyone in to play in fact our play time was about over and we all worked pretty hard the time we were out of school My father did strive to give us an education. I remember my first two years at school in Springfield and my routine of work. My sister helped to do most of the housework, and I had to work outside. Every morning before school hours I used to get up and saw enough wood to last through the day, and my most vivid recollection of Springfield is the various woodsheds that belonged to the different houses in which we lived, for we moved quite often. I was the official woodcutter of our family up until the time I left home. My brother always had the job selling and delivering papers. In the Christmas holidays, my sister and I used to go out as cash girls in the stores, and in the summer vacation I used to get jobs outside. One I remember particularly was picking berries for the farmers. I worked one entire summer picking strawberries and blackberries on a farm. I used to walk there every morning carrying my lunch in a tin pail. If I worked very hard all day, bending over in the hot sun, I could make about sixty to eighty cents. I have afterwards learned that this place was in Nichols Junction, which is exactly seven miles from Springfield. To walk that distance, there and back, in bare feet, for sixty or eighty cents a day, is not what you would call a good job. But I was fortunately very strong and healthy. Probably my hard work was responsible for that. I became quite a seamstress at an early age, and used to make all of my own clothes. Another thing I was taught to do was to resole my own shoes, and although I was always barefoot in the summer, many other soles that I tacked on in the winter. We invariably lived a long distance from school, and a nickel for carfare was far beyond our means my brother and i were always pals my sister was always quiet and very studious for she it was decided should be a school teacher my parents hadn't decided just what my brother and i should be i was terribly grieved i was about twelve years old at that time when in the middle of one night my brother climbed out of his bedroom window and without leaving even so much as a note behind disappeared out into the world so completely that he was never heard of until he was eighteen when he did return it was only to tell us that he had joined the navy and disappear again the same day i never heard of him again until three years ago when a most unusual thing happened between us which i will deal with later on in the story the loss of my brother was probably the first real grief that i ever felt for in losing him I lost my best pal. I had always kept a trapeze hung out in the woodshed all of the time in Springfield, and spent most of my spare time performing on that. So eventually I became very capable in this line, and this made my venture into the circus business possible, which, by the same token, I had decided should be my fate in life. I used to hang around every circus and follow every parade that was ever pulled off in Springfield, and I always had fifty cents stored away waiting for the next one to come to town. It happened thus. I was just past thirteen. There was a carnival playing in the town, and of course I was there. A woman used to ride a diving horse off a twenty-five-foot elevation into a tank of water each night. This was quite a stunt— And the carnival company offered as an advertisement that they would give a prize of fifty dollars to anyone living in the town who could accomplish the same feat i was one of the first applicants but of course i was too young and they would not listen to my plea and it was a good thing that they wouldn't for if i had even been able to stick to the horse until i reached the water i would surely have been drowned then I WAS SO PERSISTENT AND HUNG AROUND SO MUCH THAT I ATTRACTED THE ATTENTION OF ONE OF THE PERFORMERS. I FORGET WHAT HER STAGE NAME WAS, BUT HER REAL NAME WAS DEVERE. SHE WAS DOING A TRAPEZE ACT AS A BALLYHOO IN FRONT OF ONE OF THE SIDE SHOWS. SHE WAS A REGULAR CIRCUS PERFORMER AND ONLY FILLING IN A COUPLE OF CARNIVAL DATES BEFORE THE REGULAR CIRCUS SEASON OPENED. THIS Missus DEVERE TOOK A GREAT FANCY TO ME BECAUSE I HAPPENED TO LOOK LIKE A SON SHE HAD LOST only a few months before and of course I was so thrilled to be noticed by a performer that I would have given her my life so we soon became very clubby I told her my ambition and one morning before the grounds opened she let me work on the trapeze I must have displayed some talent because she went to my father and offered to take me on tour with the southern circus at first my father refused then after many tears and much pleading on my part he finally consented money being very scarce in our lives besides it was vacation time and two-thirds of my pay was to be sent home each week the rest was to go to mrs Devere for looking after me so i went with the circus and my pay amounted to the large sum of eight dollars per week and board i lived on the cars as did all the circus people in those days and the money, little as it was, was enough to send Sister and myself to school for several years more. The people of the circus. I don't think there is a more whole-souled lot on earth, and I am certain that no bunch of people work harder than they. After the night performance, we packed up our tights and make and got on the cars, which were crowded enough, God knows, and along with the proverbial circus bees, cooties they are called since the war, we moved on to the next town, arrived the following morning. Then came the unloading, then the parade, then the matinee, then the night performance, and the same old thing, over and over, day after day. Sundays were generally devoted to making long railway jumps, but as hard as the life is, a gayer lot of people never sat down to a royal banquet than these performers who gather around the large table set up under the kitchen tent. I think some of the better performers take their meals in hotels, but the majority never see any of the towns except while on parade. End of Part 3